Welcome to Wandering Mind, an audio tour of some of the most amazing holiday destinations you can possibly imagine. I'm your host, Hope Faulkner, and I'll be bringing you all the information you need to plan the holiday of a lifetime. I'll tell you about all the big tourist attractions and let you in on the secrets locals love. It's a tough job, but somebody's got to do it. So let's go on holiday. Today's destination, Mount Eftra. Out in the wilderness of Chauze, near the border with Atreya, Mount Eftra towers above even its most ambitious neighbouring rock formations. It seems to disappear into the clouds themselves, its slopes absolutely vertical, at least from the point of view of an anxious would-be climber at its foot. Thankfully, that's not the case. It is a long way to the top, though, so my recommended first stop is the small cafe attached to the Sacred Tree Museum, right here at the bottom of the mountain. More on the museum, and the cafe, later, but for now I'm just popping in to stock up on bottled water and snacks for the climb. If you're not sure how much you'll need, or how much you can carry, or even how long your adventure will take, you can ask the very knowledgeable cafe staff. There's even a sort of starter hamper on offer with plenty of nutritious, high-energy provisions to see you safely up the mountain, and down again. A word before we tackle the ascent. The mountain is well-trafficked, with clear paths to the top and no need to do any actual climbing. As such, it's classified as a relatively easy peak to summit, and experienced hikers and mountaineers will have very little trouble with the terrain here. However, it is still a mountain, and its location is very isolated. Everything changes at night. You'll want to make sure that you're on the way home by sundown, and not just because of the spooky stories about the mountain. It's been several years since someone last went missing on Mount Eftra, and I definitely don't want one of our wanderers to change that by becoming the next disappearance. Be careful out here. Respect the landscape, and it will respect you. Well, now we've got the serious bit out of the way, it's time to venture up the mountain. The first thing you'll notice as you start to climb is that there aren't any trees on this bit of trail. The second is how gusty it is, because there aren't any trees to shelter you from the wind. In fact, there's only one tree on this entire mountain and it's a long way from where our journey begins. On the way up to it, though, there's plenty to see. Low-lying shrubs and tall grasses provide the bulk of the greenery on the mountain, providing cover for the various wildlife that makes its home here on Mount Eftra. Of particular interest to conservationists is the rare soaring weasel. Native to Mount Eftra and the surrounding area, its population has been crashing, sometimes literally, for the last century, but in recent years it's seen a resurgence. This is mostly due to the tireless efforts of the Eftra Wildlife Alliance, who also take care of the rest of the mountain as a whole. It's an important habitat to a whole range of species, and while the soaring weasel is the most visible, due to its tendency to leap high in the air and glide great distances, there are plenty of other creatures to see if you keep your eyes open. The Wildlife Alliance offer pocket guidebooks, available at the museum shop and the cafe, so you can identify the plants you see on your way and it also includes pictures of some of the animals that call the area home. There's the Atreian silk cow, a domesticated creature used to graze the mountain and keep it from becoming overgrown. If one comes close enough to touch, you definitely should, because their long hair is incredibly soft. The lesser emu, however, which also lives on the mountain, should not be approached. Despite the name, it's actually a rather large species of goose. Enough said. The Eftra Wildlife Alliance is also especially interested in sightings of the gorgeous pea pheasant, which, despite its brightly coloured plumage, can still be difficult to pick out amongst the many flowers on the mountain slopes. The pea pheasant isn't actually native to the area, 
but was introduced by early conservationists nearly 200 years ago to save it from extinction elsewhere. Due partly to the lack of natural predators on Mount Eftra, a small but flourishing pea pheasant colony now survives here. These beautiful birds are shy, but if you happen to have a pair of binoculars on you, they can occasionally be seen on the slopes. If you're the sort of person who'd like to do something productive while you're on holiday, you can contact the EWA in advance of your visit. They're always happy to give information on the local wildlife, and, of course, to accept help with their to-do list. Whew! Halfway up the mountain, there's a toilet hut. I'm not going to lie to you, fellow adventurers. When I saw the hut, I thought it must be at the top. But no. Halfway. The facilities have running water, but it all comes from a water collection system on the roof, so the advice to travellers is not to drink it. It's fine for washing your hands, or splashing your face to cool down, but in case there are any unusual impurities in there, it's best to stick to drinking the bottled water from the cafe. On most days, an elderly local gentleman and his grandchildren run a stall outside the halfway hut, and they do keep a few extra bottles of water available for emergencies, but it's best not to rely on that. Most of what they sell is souvenirs, carved figurines related to local mythology, woven scarves and prayer ribbons. I recommend that you do buy a ribbon on the way up, unless you've brought your own, or you'll miss out on one of the defining experiences of a trip to Mount Eftra. More on that when we get to the top, but for now, I just want to take a moment to appreciate the view. I can't describe the view from Mount Eftra and do it justice, it's just not possible. You have to see it for yourself to really understand, but I'm going to do my best. Standing near the top of the mountain, on the southwest side, I can see the tallest buildings of Atreus' capital city, Avale, and further still. In fact, if I turn my face to the north, I can see right across the Bay of Arran to Ascoria's snow-capped mountains. From this vantage point, the land is a patchwork of fields and rivers, roads and buildings, too small to really identify, and what really stands out is just an overwhelming sense of colour. Yellow wheat fields, meadows of purple, blue and pink, shining silver rooftops and dark stone structures. It's like gazing down at a living abstract painting. Just as the wind whips at my hair, it also ripples through the low-lying shrubs and flowers on the slopes below me. And the whole canvas seems to come alive. It's... breathtaking. Moving on, right at the top of the trail it's time to join a group of pilgrims and fellow hikers, all clustered around the mountain's only tree. Here we find a moment of human connection right at the top of the world, and it's also where that ribbon I bought comes in. The tree itself is considered by many to be sacred, and by many more to be dangerous, and it's fenced off for both these reasons. It's impossible to get closer than about 30 feet from the trunk, but you don't really have to. You can appreciate the beauty of this ancient tree just as easily from a distance. And it is beautiful. On my visit, its branches are almost completely bare, their gnarled and twisted shape creating a stunning silhouette as I look up through them at the cloud-dappled sky. Looking at other tourists' pictures, however, confirms that the tree is usually decked out with delicate four-pointed leaves, like tiny compass roses. This distinctive leaf shape also forms the logo for the Sacred Tree Museum at the bottom of the hill, as it happens. Throughout the year, the leaves turn from green to orange and finally to a vibrant red before falling and being blown away. Without the leaves in the way, though, you might actually spot some very old prayer ribbons in the branches, where they used to be tied before the installation of the fence. Having admired the tree for a few minutes, I took a moment to ask for a blessing as I tied my ribbon onto the fence. I have to say, regardless of religious beliefs, 
The experience left me feeling very connected with the pilgrims and other climbers performing the same ritual, and I felt very peaceful, until a wing hit me in the face. I'm told that being struck by a soaring weasel after placing a ribbon is considered a sign of favour and good fortune, but I don't know how true that is. It seems like the sort of thing you'd tell a tourist who's just had the wind knocked out of her, but I'd like to think it was fortune smiling on me. At any rate, whatever else it means, it seems like a good sign to start back down the mountain, so that's what I'm doing. The walk down the mountain is much easier than the original climb, but it is important to watch your step. Loose dirt and stones on the path can lead to twisted ankles and general embarrassment. However fast and ungainly your return to the bottom of the mountain is, however, you'll find yourself back at the entrance to the Sacred Tree Museum. Shall we go in? I may have seen the tree itself, but to really experience the wonder of the place, I've done my best not to research the living daylights out of it. Now I've seen it, it's time to get the details, and the best place to do that is right here. The Sacred Tree Museum is run by a small religious order dedicated to this holy site, and they're very knowledgeable curators. Devotees come from all over the world, so at any given time there's a fair chance of finding a member of the order who can explain things to you in your own language. I was fortunate enough to find such a person to tell me the legend of the tree, and I'm going to pass it on to you now in a slightly shortened form. Once upon a time, the story goes, Mount Ephra was completely covered in trees. The mountain forest was watched over by a nature spirit by the name of Triel. Triel loved all the trees over which they had guardianship, but most of all they loved the tree at the very top of the mountain, and chose to make their home in it because it had the best view. The other trees, jealous, tried to grow taller and root deeper, blocking all sunlight from the spirit's tree and choking its water supply. Triel noticed the tree's treachery almost too late and called down a terrible rain from the sky. It rained for three days and three nights, and every tree the rain touched began to shrink and change, until at last there was no tree on the mountain that had not been transformed into a small shrub or flower. No tree, that is, except one where the spirit still resides. The museum itself also tells the story through pictures, including photographs where one can allegedly see the spirit, though it seems very much in the eye of the beholder, and even a short animated film. For me, the most spine-tingling moment was when I stepped out for a breath of air after listening to the story about that terrible rain, and found that a perfectly natural drizzle had begun outside. I took that as an excuse to cut through the gift shop, which sells a wealth of souvenirs, though personally I preferred what the old man on the mountain was offering, and into the cafe to warm up with a hot drink and an oven-warm Koran bun, which was very nice. The rain has been going on for some time, so I can also vouch for the tastiness of their fresh-baked sand bread. The rain is dying down, and my bag is full of baked treats from the cafe, so it's about time to leave. Before I do, though, I should take a moment to mention the other attractions nearby. The large and thriving town of Shulin isn't far from here, and if you've made a long journey to get to Mount Ephra, Shulin is an excellent place to stay. It's full of picturesque buildings, scenic river journeys, and heritage sites, if that's your sort of thing. It's not a place where drinking alcohol is the norm, though it is available, and there are very few bars or nightclubs. If you're looking for a quiet, peaceful place to spend your holiday, Shulin might just be perfect for you. Accommodation ranges from backpacking hostels to three-star hotels, and there's a range of restaurants in town, mostly grouped around the central square. 
That's also where you can observe a rather cheeky little display of automata on the town clock each time it strikes the hour. Parental caution is advised when visiting with very young children, though I'd class it as harmless fun rather than anything obscene. As for Mount Eftra itself, I enjoyed it much more than I expected, and the excursion would be well suited to an active traveller or fitness enthusiast. If you have mobility issues, or can't go up the mountain itself for any other reason, but you're interested in the mythology, you'll be glad to know that the museum and cafe are all housed in a single-storey building, and if you're especially keen on getting to the tree, you should contact the museum before you travel. With enough notice, they can make arrangements for somebody to take you up there in a sort of cart-type thing, which looked very comfortable. As for me, I am neither a fitness enthusiast nor particularly active, though something tells me this job is going to change that. And I still made it. My producer has promised me a less exhausting trip next episode, though, so hopefully I'll have a chance to recover from what was, in the end, a moderately challenging hike. Thanks for joining me today. I'm Hope Faulkner for Wandering Mind, and it's time for another adventure. Safe travels! Wandering Mind is written and performed by Eleanor Musgrove, with music from purpleplanet.com. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, and maybe consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash wanderingpodcast to get access to extra episodes just for patrons. Or visit wanderingmindpodcast.wordpress.com for more information. Thanks for listening.